This episode of No Quarter is sponsored by the Underground Retrocade. You love these games, and the way you want to play them is on the original cabinets. You want to see the side art, you want to feel the controls, and you want to hear Eric Clapton on the stereo. So when you're in the Chicago area and you want that authentic arcade experience with all those classic games you love to play, head over to the Underground Retrocade, where they know it's not in the joystick, it's in the way that you use it. The Underground Retrocade, 121 West Main Street, West Dundee, Illinois. I'm Carrington Vanston. And I'm not Carrington Vanston. And this is No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast with Carrington and other. <laughs> <laughs> I can run with that theme. I'm okay with this. And I like that you keep our, our podcast title nice and short. Every time I, I start to introduce us, it just keeps getting longer and I start rambling. And... Well, over on Double Take, where we, um, Sherry and I have just started re-recording, the, oh, not, or starting a new series of those. And she used to mock me at the beginning because I could never keep the slogan straight for that one. Like for the first 20 shows or something at the beginning, ages ago when we started, um, I kept messing it up. She's like, that's not what it is. I'm like, I can't remember what it is. So once I have like sort of one of the podcast slogans in my head, that's just what I'm going to say. (laughs) I don't deviate. Well, and I probably could have used that excuse around show number 20, but we're like 116 or something and I still don't get it right. So, Oh yeah, you have, you have no excuses. (laughs) Oh, I see. I'm just chock full of them. Well, that's because you're Carrington and you're awesome. Chock full O excuses. It's an O with an apostrophe. I like I like one of those. I think you're chock full of feedback too. I am chock full of. We are chock full of feedback. We got oodles and oodles and oodles. Um, let's start with a couple from fellow podcasters. We got people from other shows we're on writing us into the show. <laughs> like first of all, your co-host Quinn wrote in with a short one to say two of my favorite things and two good not to share, and she sent us a link over to Ethan Merrick's Lego Arcade. Super crazy cool. Uh, the link's to a site called Brothers Brick. I think it's brothers-brick.com, but there will be links in the show notes because the show notes are where it's at. And uh, it's Lego, but it's like a little mini arcade made of Lego. So there's um, a, a Zaxxon scene, like the whole 3D scene in Lego. But in particular, like are these little little arcade machines made of Lego, little cabinets made of Lego. And, and a tiny little like gumball machine. <laughs> it's fabulous. <laughs> I like these so, so, so much. Um, so great link we'll have in the show notes. People who listen to our show will really like to look at these. So I highly recommend our show notes this week. It's pretty well. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jack wrote in, Jack from RCR. To, he wrote in to say, to my great shame, I never listened to No Quarter until very recently. I've heard of it for ages, but I never even looked it up until yesterday when I discovered that you guys are talking about stuff that is all right up my alley. So I have a lot of catching up to do. And shame on you, Jack. <laughs> it's <laughs> anyway, fine, Jack. Don't worry about it. We'll, we'll end up banning him eventually. Uh, anyway, he says, the, the first and so far only episode I've listened to is your review of Wizard of War. I pretty much agree with everything you're saying, but seeing that you're both sort of on the fence about the game, I want to point out the excellent Atari 800 port. And he gives a link to that. Again, It'll slide it into the show notes. 
He says, I played the game a fair amount as a kid, but I played the, arc- the Atari 800 version a lot. The graphics are slightly inferior, but the gameplay is, in my humble opinion, significantly better. Your player moves a little more quickly, which gives it a better feel and makes the game a little bit easier, just enough to make it feel like you're getting somewhere. Also, in this episode, you mentioned the use of joystick port 2 on the C64. I never owned one of those infernal machines. Ah, Jack, you're, you're back into our good graces. But I have friends who did, and I, so I can say from some experience that the idea that port 2 was used to free up port 1 for the mouse is really a late revel- uh, rationalization. Almost no one with a C64 used a mouse, since uh, Geos was kind of a latecomer and of limited utility. The real reason was the second reason you mentioned, that port 1 inter interfered with the keyboard. If I recall, the joystick actually generated what seemed to be keyboard events. You could randomly type with the joystick in a really useless way. So really, Geos was uh, using the mouse in port one is really a consequence of the by then already established standard of having a joystick in port two. However, that mouse slash joystick port split was very much a standard on the Atari ST machines where you would pretty much always have the mouse in port one and the joystick for any single player game in port two. So thank you for the clarification, Jack. And welcome aboard to the listenership of No Quarter. Nice to have you. You will be banned shortly. Well, why don't we just preemptively ban him? <laughs> Jack, you're banned. There you go. <laughs> Enjoy the one episode you're allowed to listen to. <laughs> now you're out. Uh, Bill wrote us um, to say, Hey, Carrington, I'm an avid listener to your podcast. Wait a minute. Not like that. <laughs> it goes on My podcast. S- you heard him. <laughs> Why am I? Why am I reading the ones that uh, you stuck me with this on purpose? Didn't you? Probably. Yeah, I know you did. Uh, Bill goes on to say, "I look forward to your episodes so I can add new games to my favorites on my main cabinet. I own several arcade cabinets, uh, along with a, a Dynamo cabinet that I have converted to main. Check out this recent uh, thread in Clav posted by Mock the Magician, and he's got a link that we'll include in the show notes. Won't you, Carrington? I will indeed." And it's a it's um it's a thread about use it about the the uh, using HLSL settings uh, in Mame. Mock the magician talks about how um, Mame zero point one five six with HLSL settings has come a very long way with uh, vector and CRT emulation with an LCD monitor. It can simulate monitor curvature, scan line jitter, flicker, and a host of other settings. This shows that we are. That much closer to your prediction of a perfect CRT and vector emulation on an LCD monitor. Looking forward to another year listening to your podcast filled with arcade games that I've never heard of and some games that I, some games after I play them, I will wish that I had never heard of. Regards, Bill, and he goes by Balls, B A L L Z, on uh, Kalov. Well, Kalov kind of scares me. I did actually go check out the, the link because they're hardcore over there and I'm a mm-hmm. total poser. <laughs> like, look at my scores. Come on. Um, so I ducked in, put on my pretend that I'm a real arcade big boy costume and went over to Kalov. Flame retardant suit. <laughs> totally. And logged in. Actually, really, there's so much knowledge there. Oh my gosh. And um, so I, I read through the thread, which is only two pages. So I, I was able to get through it quickly and get out unscathed. <laughs> and it's super cool. It's all the stuff that we've talked about before. And he's right. Like there's, it starts with the, there's a photo of um, the Star Wars vector game looking particularly vectory because you know how like vector games they they don't have dots obviously but they what they do get is almost like a a fuzz around the lines um, as the the phosphorus burned in with these these little lasers pointing at your eyes and and this shows a 
um, a screenshot where it, it just it looks like a screenshot from a, an actual vector game. Very impressive. Um, but there's also a video, uh, some gameplay from a game called Battle Circuit, which I do not know, but it had all the HLSL goodies applied. And it basically looked like somebody had pointed a high-def camera straight at a CRT. Um, really, the only things missing were the extra level of imperfections, like glare from a room behind you, maybe, or like when the monitors are too shiny and curved, or like rolling phosphor trails. But it has all the, the scan lines and the pixely goodness and, and all of that. Like, it's just remarkably impressive. It, it's the only thing that makes you realize, well, it can't be a photograph of an actual CRT, is it's simply too clear. Like, it's not... Um, fuzzy enough, the way a CRT is always fuzzy, whereas this is like the world's greatest CRT. Um, so I don't know how far you want to carry, though, the the imperfections of of a monitor to try to get it, you know, extra accurate. Is is that necessary? Not necessary for the gameplay experience? I don't know. But he's totally right. I think Bill's right that we're he's right that I'm right that we are marching toward <laughs> an exciting future where if you get a, a dense enough set of pixels on an LCD, you get retina enough. Um, it does. It doesn't seem to be that there's anything you know in physics that would stop us from having a display that you can't tell from a CRT other than the physical shape of it. I don't. I don't see curved. Well, I guess if we're doing curved TVs the other way, why can't we do a? We can do the convex concave swap and say let's do other curves, but will it be a big enough market for them? The whole thing. The whole thread made me think of the the word processor for the Mac called Blinky. Do you know that one? I don't know. It's great. So there's a, a company, I think they're called Sacred Geometry. I'll look it up, find a link, show, throw it in the show notes. Again, show notes are where it's at. Um, it's a text editor, like a very basic word processor. And it's one of those bunch of word processors that's come out recently that's all about, you know, don't be distracted. It takes over the whole screen and, and all you're supposed to do is type. Like suddenly that will make you the amazing novelist you always secretly thought you were. What's cool about it? is its whole purpose for existing is to be just a generic plain text editor that works with plain ASCII text files. But the display makes you feel like you're on an old-fashioned CRT. And it emulates these things way beyond what the HLSL filters are doing. Like you start by essentially pick a CRT. I would like it to be this one. <laughs> and it does not just things like the, the scan lines and, and the pixels. Um, it has, like you can specify the level of curve and it properly curves things around. It's not just rounding off the edge of the monitor. It curves the display. So things look like they're physically on something that's 3D. It introduces static and jitter and burn in. from. You can say, I want this image to have been burned into the monitor. You can pick an image to be reflected behind you in the CRT. So it reverses it and it looks like you're looking at a monitor and that is this is the room you're in. So you have an arcade image, you can have that reflected behind you. It does things like, you can. how long does your CRT take to warm up so you turn it on and it comes warms up and the colors will wow. slightly change over time and and it's just you can degauss your monitor or have a monitor that needs to be degauss over time like it does that kind of stuff and it's really cheap and it's super awesome so if you're ever gonna like you know do the full-on hipster thing and go work on your hipstery novel in a in a starbucks or whatever like this is totally the display to have because <laughs> it's it's completely retro and lovely and i love it so i'll throw a link to that in the show notes as well because it's super cool that's pretty awesome. I like that um, MAME is set up to, to store all of, all of your custom settings in, in any files. So uh, you can go in and just mess around and play and, and make it as glowy and fuzzy or um, flickery as you like or don't like. Um, you know, I'm, I, I'm not as much of a, 
um, mess around with the any files kind of guys I used to be just because my eyes are getting old and they don't focus as well as they used to. And after, auto, auto fuzz. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. It, uh, after a few minutes, it starts to hurt, but, uh, it's, yeah, the yeah, older it's, I get, the more accurate these, um, fuzzy displays seem to be. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. How that it's works. amazing how accurate it is. Everything's perfectly works. fuzzy. Yeah. Yeah. So th- those settings are out there and, and worth, uh, worth a look if you're into that sort of thing or, or Carrington solution, whatever it was that he was talking about. I wasn't listening. <laughs> um, Greg Ponder wrote in, I th- think this is soul blazer. The one who does the SNES podcast. Is, mm-hmm. that, is that right? And boy, he wrote a novel and thank you for assigning. Let's me this sit back and enjoy <laughs> the dulcet sounds of Mike reading us a six page <laughs> stumbling, email. stumbling over my, or some my, of it, my words and, and just go make yourself some coffee and come back in five minutes or so. Uh, Hey, hello guys. Really enjoyed your most recent podcast on Raston. This is a game I'd heard of, but never played. And hearing both you guys saying how much you enjoyed it inspired me to check it out on MAME. First impressions are that it's a lot of fun. And it reminds me of other games from that time period with similar gameplay, such as Legend of Cage and Kage and Trojan. Uh, one of the best things about listening to your podcast is hearing uh, all about those these great arcade games that I've never played. I just wish they were easier to ID based on the sounds you gents play at the end of each episode to tease us. Some thoughts about topics that came up during your discussion in the podcast in regards to Raston being edited for its U.S. arcade release to take out some of the major uh, story and RPG elements. It was quite common for the Japanese during the 80s to make gameplay changes uh, on games coming to the U.S. and Canada from Japan, and one of the biggest areas was in story. I I suppose they just figured that us violent Americans wanted to skip all the story and the reasons for why we were fighting, shooting, blowing stuff up, etc., and get right to the action. Yeah, I think that's true. One of the most famous examples is the the NES version of Contra. The Japanese version of the game had a story at the start of the game with cutscenes and also a map that showed your progress. And as you made your way through the stages, uh, all of that was removed from the U.S. version. So it's a pure shoot-em-up game. It's just something that we game players had to put up with until the 90s. <laughs> Hearing someone mention in his feedback that he was taken in by Sorry Charlie due to listening to it outside uh, of its original early arc, uh, April podcast date made me feel a lot better. I didn't want to admit this because I'm still embarrassed by it, but since someone already has, I fell for it also. I listened to that episode in July, and I bought it hook, line, and sinker. Even the weird shape and the strange controllers didn't raise any red flags with me, since I recall thinking at the time, heck, it was the 80s. Everything was wild and crazy in those days. It wasn't until I listened to the next episode the following day that I realized I'd been had... Uh, if I had heard this closer to, if I'd heard this closer to April Fools, that would have raised a few suspicions. You know, before I before I go on here, I think that's probably the show that we still get. We still get tons of feedback about that one. I think we should commission someone to actually make that. No. <laughs> All but right. I think we should. Make, I think we should uh, print those posters though. <laughs> um, as a final thought it was funny to hear Mike say that he didn't hear any of the feedback from another listener because said listener was banned in fact I was banned due to my first email when I said I was a C64 user and that it was superior to the Apple II for games a statement that I still stand by but yet he's read on the podcast some of my feedback so the whole ban system is useless and I propose that it be struck effective as of right now no, Greg, that will not happen. <laughs> how did you hear Greg say that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in fact, how am I reading this right now? Uh, besides, you guys wouldn't ban a fellow podcaster, which I, I can't even get through that without laughing. Uh, especially one who <laughs> probably had two already in the show. 
um, not only from this show, but from all of our podcasts, including your own. Uh, epically, one who plugs your, your great podcast every chance he gets on his own. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. No, Greg, that won't save you. Uh, in regards to that, if either of you has a chance to check out any of my podcast episodes, um, the SNES podcast, I'd love to hear some feedback. Your podcast was a great source of information, inspiration and something to look up to. Thanks again and take care, Greg. Well, Greg, since you've been banned not only from our podcast, but your own, I think you're going to have to find something else to do with your time. So there. Um, more feedback. Lily wrote in to say, short-time listener, long-time writer, or something like that. Anyways, <laughs> just wanted to write to say how much I enjoy your podcasts. The British blokes over on 10 Pence... Oh, sorry. British blokes on 10 Pence Arcade were recently asking if there were, are any women arcade collectors or hobbyists. I was going to write to them, but then I thought I could just write to you, since I know they listen to your show, and I'm killing two tiny birds with one big <laughs> angry rock. Speaking of Little Rock... Oh, sorry. <laughs> speaking of rocks, I live in Little Rock, and I have three cabs of my own. Galaga, Centipede and a sixty-in-one multi-jamma. I put together by repairing <laughs> by repairing a trashed generic. My Grail cabinets are seven twenty degrees and Street Fighter two. I've always noticed that you have more women write in than most vintage podcasts. So. Uh, there are for sure other women arcade hobbyists out there, but to be honest, the hobby isn't generally women positive as your show, even though you sit on a throne of privilege from, <laughs> from, hey. uh, from the whole fake gamer girl business to basically just getting stared at if you walk into a comic art store or arcade. A lot of us don't always feel welcome at game expos. It's better at many arcades now because the barcades are mostly just bars and the retrocades are generally family places, so it's better. But even then, if I go to one alone, you're usually not left alone to play. No, I don't want to hear about your home game collection. I just <laughs> want to wear my headphones and kill some aliens. Don't you see the aliens? We're all at risk. In my household, I'm the one with the cabs and my husband is the toy collector. My deal is that for every shelf full of action figures he puts up i should be able to stick another cab in the garage he has not necessarily agreed like with this logic. negotiation which is why the only gifts i buy him now are action figures yes that means i have a husband with dolls but if it means <laughs> i get my street fighter 2 it's fine with me if you could read this is my favorite part this was what killed me if you could read this on air or at least some of it i'd appreciate it marty my husband is also a fan of your show as well he, and he listens on the way to work. I'm sure he'd like hearing his name on the show. And now he would have heard you tell everyone about his dollies. <laughs> <laughs> and then she wrote some other stuff about another podcast and it made me laugh. But yes, thank you, Lily. And ha ha, Marty, we know about your dollies. That's awesome. <laughs> totally awesome. <laughs> so that one made me laugh. Good feedback. <laughs> um, Quinn Dunkey. She was asking for other other uh, female gamers who collect uh, and are into the arcade collecting uh and cabinet hobby and i think quinn is pretty deeply oh sure because stuff. quinn's and super into pinball as well yep. and has made her mm -hmm. own meme cab but i don't think it was her asking i think she knows about it i think it was uh the 10 oh. guys so it was them it was uh alex well, and sean strike and that forget that yes I never mentioned quinn's name forget them didn't oh speaking of them i think they i i intentionally have not listened to well, I haven't listened to the last two shows because one just came out, but I intentionally didn't listen to the show before the current one yet because I think they talked about the same show we're talking about this week, but I didn't know that. I had not was behind on it, so I didn't know they had chosen it. And then they sure did. Last week, though, Mike and I were, were trying at the end of the show, well, what should we, what should we play next? And we sorry, Mike, Mike proposed two different games, and I picked the one that we're doing this week. And so Ten Pence, two weeks ago, or two shows ago, did 
the one that we're doing this week. And then the next show, the one that just came out, is the other one Mike had proposed. So no matter what, we were about to do the same games. Come on, Tempence guys. Get off our games. Uh, I'm pretty They're sure. somehow knowing ahead of time what we're going to pick. And that's why they go first, and yet they're stealing from us. Uh, Mark Kirby wrote and said uh, he begins his email in the subject line. He says, Barrier. You utter, utter, dot, dot, dot. I'm now in a position to be catching up with a podcast on my commute after a long holiday, colonial translation vacation, and have now had a chance to play aforementioned game, which pains, which pain forbids me from repeating. Uh, I would appreciate it if you could now arrange for me to receive that last 15 minutes of my life back. Until this undoubted miracle happens, please rest assured that I will never again question the wisdom of... I'm not even going to try to pronounce that title, Vanston. Uh, in addition, I do truly believe that another title that I can't pronounce, <laughs> McGinnis, should be forced to play this game or forever be known as, and he's got some, um, what is that language, that, that dead Latin. language that everyone likes to speak? It's Latin, Lumbricus. It means uh, earthworm. <laughs> Genus of the order um, Haplotaxida, I think. I, I did a project in high school. <laughs> Just saying, uh, this is the stuff that sticks with you. Your worm is what he's saying. <laughs> Forever be known as uh, Latin, Latin, Latin. Uh, with no more right to joy in the world than an extremely sad leprechaun who has just had his last piece of gold stolen by the star of America's Dumbest Criminals and who then discovers it's the love child of Donald Trump and Justin Bieber. Whoa. Uh, should you wish to continue to review games, which put even my beloved czars on to shame, please put me out of my misery and ban me forthwith. Yours in desperation. Uh, congratulations, Mark. You have, uh, I'm here to grant your wish. You have earned your ban, sir. If you write in your ban, Chahatrapati, um, I think is the title he gave me. I think that's how it's pronounced. I think, I think it means like emperor. I only know because there's, there's a film. So I think it's, it's Hindi and I think it's something like emperor or king, something, the Hindi equivalent of that. Chahatrapati, See, Carrington, am I right about this that? Is, this is what happens when you, when, when you start doing stuff like that. They take it too far and then it's not funny anymore. <laughs> it is um, funny. For you, you were, let me see, that would be pronounced Chinese. Sien Shen. Sien Shen. You are Sien Shen McGinnis, which I think is Mandarin for like Mr. Sien Shen, isn't it? Or am I right idiot. about that? I don't. I, I basically, I, I, I barely speak English. <laughs> so I don't Village know. Village idiot kind of or something. Um, kind of, could be that, but I'm pretty sure it's just <laughs> Mr. Um, okay, let's see. Todd wrote in. Todd with two hang on, hang on one second. There's more. I, I just, more. Well, there's not more, Todd, but I'll what, what he's talking about for those who weren't listening was uh, when we did the barrier uh, podcast, uh, I played the wrong game, and so I didn't have to suffer through what was apparently a, an awful, boring experience that even my co-host Carrington just kind of got bored with and gave up before he ran up the score. So It's terrible. I didn't have to sit through it, and Mark is suggesting some severe punishment for me, apparently. The weird thing is, if you were to, before this, like five minutes ago, if you had asked me to describe the game Barrier, I would have completely drawn a blank. <laughs> Honestly, I have I flushed that game from my mind. I, mm -hmm. I couldn't I wouldn't even have been able to tell you, oh, that's a terrible game. If I saw a screenshot, it would remind me immediately. But the the name itself is I guess so generic, I actually completely forgot about that game. I wonder how many of the games we've reviewed that if you were to read me the list now, I'd go, I don't know that game. What do you mean I talked about it for an hour? Um, that's funny. That's funny because it wasn't that long ago and I have completely forgotten about that game. Yeah, well the, yeah, the the title really doesn't have a whole lot, at least in my mind, to do with, with the theme of the game, which is it's basically in a, uh, um, an arcade version of that Mattel handheld football game. Barrier is not what leaps immediately to mind, and, and because I didn't play it and because apparently it was 
Um, incredibly forgettable and boring, yeah. But you're right. I, I've looked through that list of games that we played every now and then, and uh, yeah, there's a bunch that I, I don't remember at all. And yet lately I keep coming back to Omega Race. I wonder if I was nice. listening to that episode how positive I was about the game at the time. I hope I said I loved it because I holy cow, did. I love yeah. that game. And and the more you play it, the more I like it. Like that, increasingly, that's become. Um, I'd love to have a cab of Omega Race. There there was a environmental cabinet. An environmental Omega Race would just be amazing. It's become one of my one of my new grails. Um, yeah. Holy cow, do I love that game? I just it just. It's a pick-up-and-play, super fun game. My gosh, that's a good one. Um, anyway, Todd with two Ds wrote in. Todd, uh, great show about Rastin. It's one of my favorite games. I probably put as many quarters into that as any game at the time, just trying to get farther and farther each time I went to the arcade. You talked about the music. I don't know why it sounded staticky on your setup. That's not how the real game sounds. The music is clear and amazing. Some of the best arcade game music. Here's a link for your Rastin show notes you might want to add. It's the Vague Reality YouTube channel, which is two brothers who do amazing versions of things like cartoon themes and Star Wars music on electric guitars. This oh. is a link to them playing music from Rastin. Um, this is the outside music from Rastin, SMS, played on the two electric guitars. The piece was transcribed by ear, um, performed, and recorded by Dan and Josh, the two brothers. So he gave us a link, which is so cool. So I'm going to put a link for the, the Rastin song, and it's amazing. Like, it just, it's, it, you know how, like, the music from Rastin is so much, like, 80s action movie kind of music? When you hear it played by, like, these two guitarists just wailing on it, it's, like, extra action-y. It's really, really fun. Uh, if you play this in your car, you are definitely going to get a pulled over for a speeding ticket. <laughs> Um, but they also did the Star Wars theme. Um, again, two brothers, two guitars, Star Wars. So awesome. And I know other people's opinion of what is cool has always been different than mine. And I was informed <laughs> that often in high school. But I think this is really cool. <laughs> so I was really, really just, yeah, loving the channel and uh, really liking their music. So I dig it. Good, good links both. Todd, thank you. <laughs> Jose Casada wrote in. I don't think this is the same Jose Casada, but because uh, he spells this with a Z. But in my mind, the the president of Marvel is writing in because he listens to our show. Um, Jose writes in and says, "My name is Jose, and I'm writing to you from Sacramento, California. I grew up during the golden age of video games, and had my share of dropping tons of quarters into some of the classics that you have covered on the podcast." I've been wanting to write to you for quite some time now, but finally I had an experience I really wanted to share. In December of 2014, my youngest son and I, uh, who is 12, had the pleasure of visiting the High Scores Arcade in Alameda, California. I told the owners that I heard about the arcade on your podcast, and they were very happy to hear that. Although it is not very big, they do have some awesome classics, including Tron and Deadly Discs. 
what really surprised me the most is that they had a, fi- a fix-it Felix Jr. cabinet. As soon as we walked in and paid the $10 for all-day unlimited play, my son immediately started playing that game. He knew it because of the Wreck-It Ralph movie, of course. I almost had a panic attack when I saw him sitting on it because I never thought I would see one of those in person and, uh, unless I went up to visit <laughs> unless I went up to visit you, Carrington. Uh, my son didn't even know that they had actually made that game either. We played many other classics, which brought me instant memories of my teenage years during the 80s. Anyway, I have an album shared publicly on my Google Plus account with some of the pictures from that visit. Sorry, I don't use Facebook. Uh, keep up the great work. I look forward every week to listening to you guys. Oh, and I almost forgot. I am a C64 and Amiga guy, and I love elevator action and your band, Jose. <laughs> First of all, okay, Commodore 64 and Amiga, mm, no. <laughs> Amiga maybe, <laughs> but no. But he loves elevator action, and that forgives a lot of sins because that no, game rocks. No, <laughs> it's so, so good. Wrong. Plus, the um, the the album on on that he sent to us on Google Plus of of uh, Jose and his son playing Felix Fix at Felix Jr. and like the other shots from the High Scores Arcade super fun to look at yeah. really cool so we will definitely have that link in the show notes because yeah so that also forgives it and also elevator action totally love it you are right I am right Mike is wrong do not listen to him it's a really good game <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, Steve wrote in and he sent us um, some tips. It, it, the slogan says "Tips for Rastin" with two exclamation marks and exclamation points. And in the body of the email, it begins with "Tips for Rastin" with four exclamation points. So it got even more exciting <laughs> once we moved from the subject into the body. So how can we not pass on some of these tips? So he gave us a bunch of them. I'm going to read you three. First, you can get the ring in the first level castle. Which totally was news to me. So he says, go past the three ropes, down the next chain, up the chain after that, and then slowly nudge this chain off screen. Two enemies will appear on the left-hand side, and one of them always has the ring. Boy, you gotta play the game a lot to know this stuff, I guess. Another tip. When going up chains, it's often quicker to just jump repeatedly off a wall next to the chain instead. In fact, you'll need to use that technique when you finally get good enough to reach boss number four. Oh, harsh, Steve. Um, And then he says, finally, you said you weren't sure what the rod does because you never got it. Well, it's actually a secret, sort of. The attract sequence doesn't even show what it does either, but I'll let you in on the secret. When you kill any, any enemy when you have the rod, all the other enemies of the same kind die on screen, too. Great shows. Keep it up, Steve. Thank you, Steve, and thank you for the tips. So now all our listeners are better Rastin players because of you and, and your exclamation points. All right. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> um, Michael wrote in to say, hey, Mike, hey, other guy. <laughs> it, it's nice to see the Finally, band hammer. somebody who likes <laughs> me. It's nice to see the band hammer swinging like a metronome again. I missed oh, it. Yeah. Here's my guess. Since you were whining, no one sends mail. This week's game is called Glumpment. I have no idea. I just wanted to let you know there were people listening. <laughs> so, Aw, thank you. It was a good guess. But wrong. Uh, incorrect. <laughs> incorrect. The guys from Ten Pence Arcade would know <laughs> that this week's game is Pulsar. And after we talk about it, I'm going to be interested to go back and listen to what they say about it um, so that we can compare to see if they liked or disliked this game as much as Mike and I like and or dislike. I'm not letting you in on the secret yet. Uh, it's a Sega Gremlin game from uh, 1981, wait. I think. Wait, 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 please. Is it not? Well, it is, but there's something I wanted to talk about before we got into the game. Just on, about the title, Pulsar. Want to talk about the well, 
Yeah, I, I like the back letter. It, back like it way up. <laughs> We're going to talk the history of the letter P. Uh, Medium.com, and I've been meaning to talk about this for a while, actually, and keep forgetting because that's what I do. Uh, Medium.com has a, a an article called Playing With My Son, An Experiment in Forced Nostalgia and Questionable Parenting. And uh, it's this guy – was born. He was born in 1977, um, the same year that the Atari 2600 was released, and the year before Space Invaders. And grew up a gamer, and and on these you know, playing uh, playing on the classic, I guess we would call them now classic home consoles. And and he recently had uh, a son in 2004, and he thought, well, why don't I force my kid to play all of these video games? And so. He uh, started on his son. His son's name is Elliot. On his fourth birthday, I started him with a Pac-Man uh, plug-and-play TV game loaded with the arcade classics, Galaxian, Rally X, Bosconian, Dig Dug, and of course Pac-Man and three sequels. And, and he went from there to a, one, another plug-in. Um, this Pac-Man, Galaga, Mappy, Pole Position, Zevius. When we got bored with those, we hooked up my old Atari 2600, played through my collection of lo-fi cartridges. Uh, uh, such as uh, Asteroids, Kaboom, Adventure, Combat, and yes, E.T., and then moved on to the next generation. And so this whole experiment of having his kids play through these video, um, through the, I guess, history of, of video games in chronological order lasted four years. He started when, when Elliot was four and a half and played up into, and then he gets into the, the um, more, I guess, modern era with the PlayStation 2 and things like that. But I, I find it, fascinating one one that someone would do this to their kid and that it was he was able to to have it last for as long as he did and and he he winds up the story saying that um um my son is amazing he loves these video games and more than anything he loves playing them with me and it's it's neat to see this this connection that that he was able to make with his son but it got me kind of thinking um about this and I'll go off topic, I guess, a little bit here. Um, for those of us who also happen to collect or enjoy using our favorite vintage home computers, and in our case, the Apple II, woo or this Commodore sixty four, boo. Um, there's a constant theme that seems to come up in the discussion threads online, and that's like, well, how do we? is there going to be any interest in these machines once our generation, the ones that actually had them when they were new, once our generation dies, uh, are our kids or their grandkids going to care at all about this stuff? Because their nostalgia is not going to be for those computers. It's going to be for whatever they grew up with. And I was, um, Lin Tai Chin, who, who has written to us several times, he's also a, a 2GS programmer and he got his daughter started program the 2GS, I think when she was about four years old and, and she fell in love with the machine. And, and so it, I, I find myself wondering if that's the way to get people interested in younger people and, and people who wouldn't normally care about this stuff interested by, by sort of forming these connections, not necessarily with the machine, but by building memories and experiences around them. You and I love these things because they were the machines that we had at the time. And, you know, and so that's where our, our experiences were. And, for the kids, it's about spending time with your parents and, and, and making the fun memories and associating them to the machine. And maybe that's how, um, I don't know if you want to call it nostalgia, but if, if, if you want to keep the hobby, is that the word alive? Maybe that's the way to do it. Make force, force your kids to play the things you like. My favorite quote, I think from the, the medium 
message <laughs> is um, in the days leading up to his birth, I jolt awake in a cold sweat from nightmares of raising a six-year-old athlete, begging me to go outside to play football or baseball or some other <laughs> dreaded physical activity. <laughs> and he was like, I got to avoid that crisis. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. I think it's, it's important to me that these things are still around, which means I think in my solipsistic way, it's important to the world that these games are still around and appreciated that in somehow it is an important thing that a hundred years after my death, which would be an infinity plus a hundred because sure. I'm not going anywhere. Um, live forever. Yeah. So at some point in another universe that these games are still there and the things that I love are still loved. And I think that comes from a place, the same reason why a lot of people have kids, the same reason why we do a lot of things <laughs> is we want, we want our universe to be persistent. And we and part of that is the things that we enjoy will continue to be enjoyed later on. If the games exist only for me and only I like them, is that enough? I don't know. I mean, it's enough for hipsters. In fact, it's important for hipsters. But for the rest of us, I don't know. Like I, I, I know that my instinct always is that I want the Apple II to still be loved. I want the arcade games that we review here to still be loved. I'm excited when new people start to come into the hobby. I like it when there's a like a, a much younger than me fan of classic arcade games going to an arcade and appreciating them. Um, I don't know why I like that. Like, why should that even matter to me? As long as the things exist for me, does that matter? But it seems to. So I don't know. Um, I think that this experiment was awesome. I also, I've, in reading it though, when I first read this this whole thing that this that Andy does with with his kid Elliot, um, which I thought was fantastic. This is the kind of parenting I think is parenting done right. Experiment with your children. That's why you have them. But I think. I can just imagine the kid, Elliot, like at four years old, he starts playing these games. Now, it's interesting that they didn't start even earlier. He could have said, let's play, let's play this. It's Pong on an oscilloscope. <laughs> but he did start with what I considered fairly late gaming, but that's just because I'm that old. Um, it was neat that by like four and a half, the kid had mastered NES games and that, you know, by five, I think he had finished Mega Man yeah. and Mario 3. And like by six, he finished Legend of Zelda, which I only played for the first time this year. And I had to, at least on two occasions, <laughs> look up where something was. And I watched all of Ken's Let's Plays after the fact. So I could see, did I miss something in that dungeon? So whereas this kid on his own at age six masters it. I'm like, <laughs> And but, was handily beating his dad's high scores. Totally. And so, I, but as kids do, right? But what's interesting is, so this kid by age seven or something has moved up to the modern era age eight is going to be a disappointment because the world is no longer advancing and producing new and exciting games at the rate this kid was used to for years he is about to go through some serious withdrawals when he gets like what do you mean it's still playstation 4 in christmas of next year it's like where's the super 3d playstation 9 it's like so i think disappointment and crashing is about to come for this kid and you know screw him he's better than me <laughs> so but i think it's pretty awesome i think this kid is going to end up being like a master of video games and i like it overall i thought it was a, in any case it's a ridiculously interesting read so i dig it listening to you talk about um your take on it um, it's so it's so interesting isn't it, it it's, is and wrong. not just interesting but well put <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> anyway that sort of made me realize that, that all of the, the thoughts that, that I was having and, and the, the importance of preserving this stuff really is – I was kind of making that all about me and that's sort of a selfish, entitled position to take. But is that a bad thing? I don't think it's necessarily bad. Forget everything that I said. 
I th- well, I already did. Mostly, this was just I. I think there was some buzz, and then I talked, and I was very eloquent. I think. I think <laughs> some static and hissing. The way the universe works is even if something comes before me or after me, it's mostly about me. And so, like when Pope wrote what oft was thought but ne'er so well expressed, he clearly was talking about me having this discussion right now. <laughs> He just anticipated this discussion a couple of hundred years ago. Well done, no, you, Pope. No, I don't think that's the case. No. <laughs> I do think that I was completely wrong about what I said. Forget it. <laughs> well, can we talk about this week's game then? Because yeah, this week's game just, yes, has an exciting good. name. Pulsar. Yes. Doesn't that, doesn't that evoke, yeah. like, actually, it's like Barrier Where I'm like, you wonder, what, what is this game about? <laughs> anyway, the game is Pulsar, Sega Gremlin, 1981. In fact, barely 1981. January. In January. Yeah. yeah, so it's really a 1980 game that got released late. Missed the Christmas season, came into the arcades, 1981, January. Uh, designed by Larry, I think it's pronounced Clegg, Mike, and Mike Hendricks, who are the guys who did um, uh, Eliminator, which we did before. Which was also a Grillman, and also 1981. So I guess they did this one. I guess they did it later. Pulsar must have come first. All right. Space game. I know that about it. This is a space game? It is totally. Well, I, I consider it a space maze game. Doesn't it seem spacey to you? I know you're playing a tank. Maybe it's not spacey. For me, it had a space feel. But I guess now that you say that, no. It's more like a sort of a cross between Ladybug well, and Combat with like the well, keys from Doom. The colors are would, would sort of sort of indicate that maybe it, it should be a space game because you got these kind of bright purple and the dark blue against a black background and things are, are apparently floating around and there's there's uh, force fields that pop up and the maze moves. So I can see where, where No, where but you you're right. Now that, that I think about it, like I just kept assuming, even in my notes, I wrote, yeah, space maze game as I was trying to type what category it is. But you're a tank. Why did I assume this was a space game? You're a space tank. Clearly you're a space tank. It's obvious. You're floating space <laughs> tank. And, and the things you're up against are basically geometric shapes, <laughs> so which are aliens, obviously. You can rationalize it. <laughs> I can. I'm pretty good that way. So the object of this game is is that you play a tank, um, little a little tiny tank like object, um, and you there are in this maze there are keys. Uh, usually they're pretty much on the opposite end of the maze from where you start. Uh, sometimes there's one or two, and I think I think the further you get into the game, the more keys there are, and you have to. The idea is that you make your way through this maze, and and as you're as you're navigating, the walls change in configuration, so you can't just route a map through and run back the same way to get to where to to where the next your next point is. Uh, you kind of have to be careful about that. You have to run up, get a key, and then take it over to the exit to to uh, unlock one of the locks that's there. You grab a matching color. So if you grab a yellow key, then you have to touch the yellow lock. And you go back and forth. And while you're doing this, there are, I don't know, <laughs> space tank aliens. Is that, does that work, Carrington? Sure. Um, that are also in the maze with you. And, and they're not... Um, they don't hunt you down, but they do. They will shoot at you and, and interfere with your progress. And um, and once you've unlocked all of all of the locks, then you move to the next uh, area of the map. It's not really a level necessarily. So so once you've unlocked it, then the map will um, scroll horizontally or shift to one side, and you sort of move into the next area of the maze. Uh, you are there is a timing mechanism built into it where uh, you have a limited amount of fuel and when you run out of fuel, your life is over. Bummer. 
There are indeed, um, the, the farther you go, like you said, you get more keys, more locks. You start off with two, and it goes up by one more for each level. And as far as I can tell, it goes to a maximum of five. Once you have five key lock sets on a level, it doesn't get any harder than that. Unless maybe, you know, if you get to like some crazy score beyond what I could get, it suddenly, maybe every like 100,000 points or something, it, it suddenly jumps up to six locks. But as far as I can tell, it goes to five, and that thing looks like all there'd ever be room for anyway. Um, I... I will say I love this game. I thought this was fan freaking tastic. It is one of the few games where it's a maze game, but also a shooter game. And there's, I mean, I guess there's Berserk and Frenzy, but there's not a lot of games where it's you know you're playing a maze game, but you're really playing a shoot 'em up that happens to be in a maze. Um, so it's fun and and I kind of fresh. I thought um, it's also super hard. <laughs> so and I and I dug that a lot. Um, I like the enemies. Like you said, they don't really, they they kind of don't follow you around. Like they each have their sort of, as far as I can tell, it's kind of hard to tell, but they, they each kind of have their own way of, to move, their own personality almost, so, similar to what was done with Pac-Man, where you've got, in Pac-Man, four different ghosts, and they each have kind of a personality. Um, and the same sort of thing happens here. So you've got like yellow balls and green discs and red Sizzles. So so the yellow balls kind of roll around the walls of the maze. Um, The red sizzle things bounce from from wall to wall along the halls, and the the green discs, I guess they'd be green discs, they kind of jump from wall to wall diagonally, which I know makes it sound like the red and the green enemies move the same, but, but they don't really. Like the red ones are literally like something rebounding off the walls and the green ones more like they jump to a wall and stick there for a bit and then jump off again so they really do have a different feel all of which is going on at once and it's all very frantic uh the green ones are are kind of more random it seemed um but then there's the the boss like there's the actual pulsar Pulsar. who's in with you as well which is really weird because the pulsar is again not really an alien more like a kind of a force field that contain it's a it's a piñata of enemies (laughs) because it it doesn't it just hangs out and you figure well maybe i'll ignore it then and but if you shoot it and i think you have to shoot it three times to destroy it um but then that releases six enemies that were inside it and it doesn't shoot at you but what it does is block your path like it lumbers along and says i'm gonna just plop down here oh did you need to get past i guess maybe you'll have to release my three little friends or my six little friends if you want to so, it's like, ah. so it'll force you to shoot it and then have to deal with them um, all the enemies that come scurrying out of it uh which is and a really neat effect like i like the look of when it dissolves and and releases the bad guys um the graphics are simple and the sprites are quite small i found like compared to a lot of games at the time but i guess that was to to make you know the blitting really easy but they are like quite tiny tiny graphics um but the corridors of the major in are much wider than any of the sprites so it's not like like in pac-man or a lot of maze games where you fill a corridor as you walk through it here there's lots of room because so, the quarters are much wide, the hallways are much wider than you or the sprites, or you or the enemies rather, um, which means there's lots of room to maneuver within a hallway and go past things or shoot things, or you can have like sort of face-offs in a hallway, and it's not just decided by who shoots first. That said, the enemies shoot very fast, so yeah. and it's a weird thing. I don't know if you noticed this, and and I played two different ROM sets, and it was the same in both. So I, I think it's the way it's programmed that if you're right up against an enemy it won't shoot you like it's so bizarre if you're a far far enough away from it it starts to shoot and i don't know if maybe it just 
the the code can't fit a bullet in between you, so it just won't shoot. But a lot of times I'd be right beside something and it could easily kill me, but they will not shoot at all. So, the, But because they shoot so fast, if you're a bit of a distance away, you'll never have time to dodge. So it's best to be either right up against them or far enough away that you have room to move if they shoot at you. Um, but it's weird that if you, if you hit them, like you bump into the enemies, they don't kill you. I spent the longest time at the beginning playing being sort of a, worried about that, but you don't have to. You don't have to worry about bumping into the boss. Don't have to worry about bumping into the enemies. You just got to worry about not getting shot and you have to worry about getting the keys um and unlocking the the maze in time before you run out of fuel every time you shoot an enemy you get a bit of fuel back but it's so little that i think it's better to just finish as fast as you can seemed to always be my my strategy and the last thing is the 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 locks are numbered so each they have a color like here's the yellow one here's the red one etc but they'll also be numbered and you get a bonus you get bonus fuel at the end and more bonus for the leftover fuel and you get a double bonus if you've unlocked them all in order so at the beginning when the game's a little easier especially when it starts with just two because there's still be in order you can get a big bonus you got to make sure on those first two levels in particular that you unlock them in the right order because it'll really help your score yeah, that's. I think that's sort of a unique mechanic, for, especially for shooter games, if you want to call it that. Um, of the time period is that, you know, usually uh, if you if you run into, if you have physical contact with the enemy, you're going to lose a life, and you don't have that here. So it, it's theoretically possible to um, play through the whole game without having to shoot anything. If you just wasn't possible in, for me, there's enemies. Not, there will be shooting. <laughs> nor, nor, nor was it possible for me. But the 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 object of the game isn't to to focus on shooting these things. It's to grab the keys and and get them to the locks before you you run out of fuel. Now, like like Carrington said, if um, shooting them does buy you more fuel, so if you're running low, uh, sometimes that may be the thing to do. But it it's, might be more efficient simply just to to get get the locks. Uh, or get the keys and get to the locks as quickly as possible. Um, there, there is some really great sound effects and music in this oh, game. As, yeah, totally. As simple as the graphics are, uh, the music really um, feels. It's not um, really music. It's more well, just like very atmospheric sound effects, right? And and that it felt that felt very advanced, especially for a game that came out in January of '81. Um, I'm reading the back of the flyer here. It says there are seven realistic sound effects. There's this continuous pulsar heartbeat, yeah. which I think re- is a really good way to kind of get your adrenaline going. Um, the electric sizzle of the force field walls, the clanging of the shifting walls, the blasting sound of, of the player's fire, the piercing shots of the aggressors, and the sound that signals a shift to a new maze, and the exciting clamor of bonus points. So there's a lot going on. Um, coming into your, your ear holes, it's, it's an engrossing experience. And, mm-hmm. um, I, I really, I don't know that it would have, I would have enjoyed this game as much as I did without having that. Now, if you're playing this in MAME, you will need to make sure that you go and get the samples file as well as the ROM, or you'll miss out on all the good sounds. Yeah. It's one of those ones where you got the, the wave files and stick them in your samples folder for MAME so that you get the, the effects, which are, which are really good. Like you said, it's, um, I think you said earlier that the maze changes, which adds so much character to the game because you're trying to race through and you're trying to make these this plan. Okay, I'm going to get the yellow key. That's the next one. And that's up there. And so you go up and get it and then you turn around to come back. And it's like, oh, the path I took is no longer there anymore. And so that's that's fantastic. I love that element. Yeah, and then you're, you're forced to make a decision because 
you know, do you, do you kind of hang out there and hope the wall will open up again? Or do you try and route back around? And I would always move? just keep trying to move, trying to move. Yeah. And then you try to route around and then it changes and your original right, exactly. opens up. So that's, <laughs> that is the risk of, of not, of not waiting is that it, it may shift on you again and make it even more difficult. Um, at the end of each level, you get uh, a bonus based on how much fuel you have left. Um, and if you are, if you are going to clear the enemy, uh, clear the level of enemies and, and shoot them, if you shoot them, um, if you shoot the same color enemy, your point bonus goes up. Mm-hmm. The basically, basically kind of, you get an extra hundred points. Like it sort of doubles the point value after you've sort of set that I'm shooting at yellows or I'm shooting at green. So you get a hundred, I think it's just like a hundred points per enemy, but then you get like a hundred point bonus if you do them in order. And then, um... You get 50 points only for unlocking a lock, but then that goes up each round, plus there's more locks. Um, but it's mostly about trying to maximize that bonus at the end. So get the locks in order and have as much fuel as possible done. Seems to be the key to get, I say, seems to be, who knows what my score looks like, <laughs> but I think I did okay. Um, but it seems to be the score, uh, the way to maximize your score, um, because you get, again, so few points for, for shooting an enemy. It's not like you're going to get 10,000 points for shooting the boss or something. It's like, whatever. You just have some more enemies. <laughs> um, I like that there's this force field as well. So not only do the maze walls keep changing, the maze is sort of this made of these purple lines, like double lines drawn between these blue dots. Imagine like pillars and the blue, uh, double, double purple lines that go between them are the maze walls. And so at any time, a wall might disappear and another wall appear, but it's always, it's not going to be random. It's, it's like, it's like rotated around the pillar. So, uh, if a wall disappears, it'll reappear attached to one of the two pillars it was previously attached to. So it's not that the maze is just completely changing. It's sort of moving through the maze, which is, which is cool. And that's where sort of a, it had that kind of ladybug feel, but unlike ladybug, it's not that you're rotating the walls. It's more that the maze itself is alive and is changing and walls just sort of appear or disappear. But then there's also this force field will temporarily appear in a gap sometimes that you might want to get through. And as long as you're moving, the force field is no big deal. But if you're if you're stopped and it appears over you, then it will destroy you. So it's another thing that can kill you. So it's more and more stuff is kind of forcing you to keep moving, keep moving. It's all about the speed and get that heartbeat going. And so mm-hmm. it's a game that gets really frantic and, and you know gets the adrenaline playing. So it's it's I don't know. I loved it. I it was a great experience playing. Well, and the randomization uh, of each maze makes it, it really gives it a great replayability factor where, whereas if it were just a standard, you know, like the Pac-Man mazes that, that never change from level to level and you can memorize patterns, uh, you, you'll never have the same experience playing through these mazes um, when you go back and, and play, play another game. Yeah. As far um, as I could tell, it wasn't that you could memorize the pattern of the maze. Like it, it, I don't know. Like, I guess I haven't played enough, but I, I agree with you. It felt more like it was just changing. Yeah, I, I, yeah, you're right. Um, I, I didn't pay enough attention to see if the same wall pieces were shifting to the, you know, the same openings were were being made available in the same sequence every time. I, I don't think they were, um, which is like you said, because it's constantly forcing you to to move. You really got to you, you you know typically you want to plan out your strategy and and how am I going to get from here to there and and having this having the sort of comfort of, of a, a known path r- removed from the equation really ups the excitement. And, mm-hmm. and because as you're trying to figure out how am I going to get there and the fuel is counting down and, and 
the pulsars has got me trapped in this corridor. And if I shoot it, there's going to be six of them. And I got to get over to the lock and then back up to grab that other key. And no, my but then maybe sometimes thinking. I'll think I'm, I'm going to run out of fuel. I need to release them right. because I need to shoot them to get some fuel back. And then the shooting right. adds a lot of tension because you, it's, it's, um, what I call Galaxian style shooting. Like you can have one shot on screen at a time. Mm-hmm. And it's not like Gorf where you can just shoot again and restart your missile. So here it's no, you've shot. And when that missile hits something, you get to shoot again. So if you miss, it can be really bad because you've got to wait to be able to shoot and it's a pretty frantic game um so it's so important to sort of get your shots accurate and the closer you are to things the faster you can shoot therefore so getting in nice and tight is good um other than the enemies shoot so fast that or so their bullets are so quick it's hard to dodge them so it's easier to shoot from a distance or easier to dodge from a distance but it also means your shots will be relatively slow so it's all about balancing that so for for such a frantic game there's a lot of little elements of strategy Right. So, so as you move into uh, further into other areas of the map, um, the game ups the difficulty, uh, ups the ante by um, speeding up the enemies, speeding up the shots. There's more enemies and the walls shift faster. So it quickly becomes, at least for me, quickly became very uh, unplayable or not unplayable, just tremendously difficult. And, and I gotta, I gotta say here, um, as we're talking, I'm looking at, the, looking at the, the Gremlin Sega flyer for this thing. And the front of it is sort of this, this dialogue that's, that's been, that's, you're getting this dialogue. Is this the from, Fingers Malloy from a guy named Fingers Malloy. It's <laughs> awesome. The eighties were great because they'd always have these like fake celebrity endorsements. They'd like just make up a character and have that character endorse your thing. It's like no one does that anymore. It's such an eighties thing. I love it. So what what does Fingers Malloy have to say about this game? Fingers Malloy says the best thing old Al did for his place was Pulsar. It's more than a game, it's a sport. I like its guts. I mean, the better I get, the tougher it gets. See, you're sliding through the maze, blasting away the pulsar. The pulsar heartbeat is keeping time. Then just when you think you've got it whipped, in comes a new maze and you got to change that game plan. Hey, I may have a touch, but I don't have pulsar aced. It's the only game in town that keeps coming back for more. So I do too. I, I bet old Al figures he's got a gravy train with Pulsar, and he's right, because I'll tell you one thing. If you're not playing Pulsar, you're just playing games, and you can quote me on that. <laughs> Fingers Malloy. The person we've made up is telling you how it's going to be. And I love the, it. The it's photo, the photo. Yeah, exactly. the photo is the best. The photo above it is just it's hysterical. So uh, leaning up against one side of the cabinet is the guy who I assume is Fingers Malloy because he's taken off his – his red frame Ray-Bans and he's, he's in this dark suit with a white shirt and a thin red tie. Not just a regular dark suit either. It's a black jacket and his pants are like satin, like shiny satin black, vel- yeah. white, <laughs> white <laughs> shoes. Velveteen. And this, I guess it's like a salmon colored sparkly tie. <laughs> this loose hits it's amazing. one of the thin ties and, and oh. he's indi- he's gesturing at you with his glasses and there's this, this uh, attractive girl and, and she's in, in a, a, What's that kind of sweater? What, it's what like mohair? Yeah. Like an and, orange and mohair sweater. and Long blue disco pants and high heels. And she's <laughs> leaning up against him because she's a female and she's useless without him because this is the 80s and video games. And she culture. has 80s appropriate makeup, which is That's like right. quasi-punk. It's so much. It's like, yeah. <laughs> and a pig, one pigtail. Um, it's the guy on the far left the, that I like, though, with his like purple jacket that's open, a tie over a white T-shirt. And then on the <laughs> other side of the cabinet, there's just these three guys standing there, one kind of behind is, the these, Okay, I thought the second person was a woman. The what one behind. I assume that okay, well, sorry maybe. person. So, I, well, so I'm there are these, sorry, but. 
there's these three people standing there and they all have their Ray-Bans on and they're all just sort of staring off and the guy in front is casual and relaxed and like, well, whatever, and he's wearing a purple members-only jacket. And, With like peach-colored pants. <laughs> and the white shoes that the other guy's wearing. Just, just But it's his tie. Is. He's just got a purple jacket opened up to the belly button, a white <laughs> t-shirt, and then just like a tie over it because yeah, that's I, that's how I roll, man, with his with his sleeves up in Miami Vice style. It's amazing. These are the most amazingly 80s people. I love it. I want to hang out with them. Oh, Fingers Boy and I would be such good friends. It's 80s cheese at its best. Great. It's great. Yes. I love this poster. Yeah, well, well spotted you. I dig it. I like I this mean, game, man. What's weird about this game is it's an it's quite an early game. Like we talked about how it's eighty one, but it's like January eighty one, mm-hmm. and there's a lot going on and great great sound. Love the sound effects, but like when you unlock all the doors, it's a really nice effect that it doesn't just pop over to the new maze. Your entire maze, like the whole screen, slides to the left to reveal the new maze, and then you start in the lower left corner of that because you were on the right lower right corner and it slid over. But it's a bit jittery. Like the CPU can barely handle it, but it's a really cool tradition. Also, if you or transition rather <laughs> tradition, it's the tradition yeah. of sliding. Well, but if you, you start with a bunch of enemies on screen, let's say you don't kill those, and the first thing you shoot is the piñata boss and you blow it up and release six more there's no there's now enough enemies on screen the game can't keep up it's like oh, oh so slow and it actually makes it quite easy to start do- dodging bullets so you can basically make your own bullet time in this game so sometimes i would do that at the beginning like don't no, just go for the boss shoot the boss and now stop shooting because now everything's on screen so slow it's actually relatively easy to get around the bullets and go pick up the keys and the timer slows down like just everything slows down the computer cannot keep up which is awesome it's outstanding. Yeah. Another thing that's cool about being so early is like the, what I call the language of arcades was not yet quite fixed in place. So there's some things that happen here that I know they would have done differently a year or two later, just in, cause, cause we just hadn't set the tropes of arcades yet. Like for, for instance, um, there's the usual line of like stats, which lists like which player is up and what your score is and, and your rank. We should talk about that rank thing and the number of tanks you have left. But the, that status line is along the bottom of the monitor. And in most games, it's going to be up at the top. Like that's where you would look for it as the top. And here it's still on the bottom. And along the top is that yellow meter that kind of shrinks down. That's basically your fuel gauge. Like you said, it kind of acts as a timer. Um, and then there's that rank thing, which is cool. So you start at rank number 30. And it took me a while to figure out what this is. I actually read about it in the manual. So as your score gets better your rank decreases and so you start at number 30 and it's really keeping track of 29 players since the game was last turned on and and it's preset with 29 scores so just like it's kind of set with 29 high scores and you always start as number 30 no matter what your score is 30 is not kept so 30 was zero you start playing your number 30. And then as you play, you move up on that sort of invisible scoreboard until you become rank number one. And so that's how it's keeping track rather than a smaller list of, of say, initials for players. It's about, well, can you try to become rank number one? And when you restart the computer, or you restart the, the cabinet, rather, um, it resets them back to the factory default. And it's about getting good enough to get that number one. I couldn't, however, find what those scores were. Like, I couldn't find the list of the factory defaults. Like, what score do you need on your very first play after a restart to become rank 10 or rank number one? So I don't know what that is. But it's kind of neat that it keeps that, that ranking. That was something interesting. Yeah, and, and to uh, you, you mentioned the, the language of, of arcade game design and, and the tropes of the time. Uh, one of the differences, another difference here is that in attract mode, uh, later on, you would see that in addition to cycling through some of the gameplay, 
you that's where you would get your your you know your lists of of this shooting this gets you this many points and this gets you that many points and here's your bonuses and that's where there's usually a screen or two of instructions on how to play well with uh with pulsar you you don't get the instructions on how to play the game until you drop the point in. <laughs> now we'll tell you how to play. Then you That's get like right. a full screen of instructions. So yeah, it's, like, oh it's my a goodness. full screen and it'll sit there and you can read it as many times as you need to um, before you start the game. It'll wait for you to, to start the game, which a lot of games will, it's there, but you got to read quick and sometimes you miss information. So, that's, so if you're, if you're um, unsure you can keep track, what you do is you put a quarter in. Then you walk away for a few days. So you can burn those instructions into the <laughs> monitor. Then they'd be there nice and easily read while you play in the, the game background. Later. Like, cause yeah, it'll just sit there as long as you'd like and say, well, here, here's the full screen of instructions so you can learn how to play. Totally weird. Like not something you'll see on later games. Uh, you'd, you'd mentioned that, that the CPU is having, uh, having some trouble keeping up. And that's because it was based on the Sega. Sega Vic Dual platform, which means that it was a Z80, and I don't have my screen here in front of me because that's how I roll, apparently. Uh, <laughs> I think it was something just shy of two megahertz. Yeah, it's, it's got a Z80. It's there were I think twenty or twenty-one games that Sega made uh, based on on the Vic Dual platform. It's the Z80, and then a soundboard, and the soundboard was unique to to each game. So, but um, that design, especially for early 1981, I think was pretty innovative. Um, and, you know, you can certainly hear the, um, the, how, how, uh, how advanced it was, uh, compared to some of the other games with, with sound, not so much with the graphics, although it was certainly a lot more colorful than some of the other games. Uh, you know, we just come from an era of, of black and white or, you know, four colors of this game featured 64 colors. And so it looked very vibrant, especially against that black background. And I think, uh, I think the, the effort that they put into all the little details of the strategy and, and the timing of the, the maze switching and things like that really paid off. This is a great game and I love it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, cabinet is, it's very generic. I mean, it's like the Sega Gremlin games at the time were just a fake wood panel cabinet. They'd have a marquee and they'd have a control panel and they'd have no side art at all. And it's funny how my opinion of this sort of cabinet has very much changed over the years. In fact, changed over the last couple of years since we've been doing this. Because coming into this show um, at the very beginning, you know, go back three years before I've ever done No Quarter. The cabinets that appealed to me, the cabinets that I thought were beautiful, were things like Tron and um, environmental cabinets and full side art, which I still love and appreciate. I love the the weirder controls. I love the full artwork, and I want something really unique. But I have learned to absolutely adore and love the very generic early cabinet. Like, it's super early. In this case, it's just fake wood paneling side art, or no side art at all, and a very generic you know, looks like a late 70s cabinet. And it's a thing now that I adore on its own. And it's not as visually interesting, as busy as um, even like an Asteroids cabinet, a Pac-Man cabinet. You look at Galaga and like all the things going on there where they really were, you know, focused on the art of the cabinet. And here it's more distilled to its very basics. And there's something just really beautiful and simple about it that I guess the more you learn to love a type of thing, the more you love cars, the more you might appreciate a very, very simple sort of 
an iconic kind of car that doesn't have all the flourishes and well at the same time appreciating the ones from the 50s with the fins so i guess that's what's going on here i don't know but it's the exact sort of cabinet that i would have just turned my nose up at three years ago and now i look at it and go yeah that's that's the stuff right there (laughs) and so it's got some nice details it's got a very very attractive marquee i really love it shows this fellow not a tank (laughs) if you're on your own he's almost like the silver surfer and he's shooting a, a a a zapping a lightning thing from his hand something like it's got nothing to do with the game and then there's this face this angry face thing which i guess is the pulsar with electric glow of lightning around it nothing at all like the game and and this grid of purple lines and that at least i was like okay yes yeah, a purple grid there you go nice nice logo on the right corner of it and a very simple but nice control panel where right hand side has a red ball joystick and four arrows printed below it to show you that it's a four-way joystick and i was first playing with this an eight-way and that distinctly hurts your gameplay it's very important to play with this <laughs> with a four-way joystick and on the left hand side is the one fire button unlabeled although it has the 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 like sort of the yellow ball lightning zap coming out of it which mirrors the zap on the marquee so it shows you obviously this is a shoot button um but it's nicely you know non-english the same cabinet could work everywhere so that's a good design and what i like is that little lightning strike that comes off the button and goes up towards the monitor that is that continues under the glass there's not really a bezel here there's just clear plexi but down where the monitor is there's one of those you know um, paper mats that goes around the monitor as a mask and the artwork continues on that like down inside as does the the grid lines above the monitor so it's really nice so it's it's got like this extra artwork that you only see if you're right at the cabinet and looking inside it and then down below is just a generic coin machine a coin um uh slots so it's very much a generic you know welcome to 1980 this is a, a very simple arcade game but it's something it is nice and iconic and simple but the little flourishes there are very well done that i actually really like it i guess the only downside is it's the kind of cabinet that and the kind of game that probably would be much better if it was ambidextrous so you better want to have joystick on right button on left because that's your only choice and i suspect if this cabinet was made just slightly later they would have you know sp- Spend the money, spend the extra eight cents for a second button, guys, <laughs> and, and you could play it that way. So it would be nicer for people that want to play other-handed. Um, but as, I love it. I love the game. I like the simple cabinet. And honestly, I would be delighted to own this. This is, this is a cabinet that I would absolutely, in a heartbeat, add to a collection. I'd dig it a ton. I think I'm going to go to the Southern Illinois University at Carbondale, Carrington. I saw that. They've got that game mechanics research studio. <laughs> they do. It's called they have a student organization called Gamers, which is which is short which is a, a sort of an uh, acronym for Game Mechanics Research Studio and it looks like what they let's see. We exist to foster a community for students who wish to learn game development at any level. Our activities include industry speakers working on the Unity game engine coding, restoring arcade cabinets, and of course playing games. And they have there's a, a neat little write up here. Uh, uh, someone their their student advisor uh, Rob Craig donated a Pulsar cabinet to them, and one of their their project was to restore it. And there, there are a few pictures. There's not a whole lot in the write ups. Pretty short, but I just want to go to a place that where arcade cabinet refurbishment and, and restoration is, is part of the curriculum and, and, and um, people are expected to do that. That's mm-hmm. just totally awesome. A better man than me would have come up with the perfect pun based on earning credits 
and credits <laughs> in the game. There's some uh, great yeah, joke there credits. that mm-hmm. just my brain mm-hmm. won't tell me what it is, and I can I can feel the loss to it's the, the humor of the universe. There's there's always <laughs> going to be a hole in all of our lives based on that great joke I couldn't quite think of. Let's let's pour one out. <laughs> that joke that never got said. There's also a great review of this game over on the Arcade Archives. They, uh, I think it's a fellow. So he did this series called Maze Madness Reviews, um, just, I think, starting back in May of, the, of last year. And he reviewed Pulsar. And uh, he includes, he did up little graphics for collectible trading cards based on each of the games he reviews. So he made up a Pulsar... Pulsar, what I consider a hockey card. Other people might call baseball cards. Um, so a hockey card for Pulsar. So I thought it was pretty swell. So I'm going to include the link to, to his review. He also agrees. Awesome game. What about you, Mike? Did, did you did you like this game? Do you love this game? I love it. I think it's uh, wonderful. Outstanding game. Had a lot of fun. Like I said, the the the, uh, the sound really draws you in. And I like the fact that it's you know, the randomization makes it uh, completely replayable. Um, oh, and because I'm always timely with URLs and things that we're talking about, uh, SegaRetro.org has a page on the Vic Duel um, and the games that use it. And yes, it, it looks like so Sega introduced this in 1977, and it looks like it. The latest games uh, were in 1981 before they moved on to other platforms. But we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Yes, we will. I have just googled it and found it, and I realized. I was understanding it wrong. When you said Vic Duel, I was thinking D-U-E-L. Like oh. it was like, I don't know. For some reason, I just assumed it was that. No, it's Duel, D-U-A-L, Duel 2. So why 2, I wonder? Um, I wonder why Duel. Duel what? Duel. It's only cabinets. got the one CPU. Well, it says Duel cabinets always contain two games. Oh, therefore... McDuel, nice. Okay, I oh look, and there's whole flyers here. So it'll be one cabinet with two games. So it's sort of it's like a precursor to the Play Choice Ten. This is a Play Choice Two. <laughs> Neat. Yeah, like here here's one that's got two. Oh yeah, awesome. And it would have like a a dual marquee, and then the place. So I guess you're know, doubling games. It's like the world's worst main cabinet. <laughs> cool. Nice. But, I mean, good good value for the arcade owner at the time. You're going to buy it and you're going to get two games in your machine. There were so many attempts to do that sort of thing. And it's funny that this came as early as 1977. That is a crazy early time to be doing this. But you, it kind of reminds me of, like, the that cassette thing where it's like, hey, operator, it's a cheap way to change your game. Just spend, you know, three hours loading a new cassette in. <laughs> so this at least gives you two games you can quickly switch between. So that's neat. I, I did not know about this Vic Duel. So which games, I wonder, could you get Pulsar with like what original cabinet would have come pulsar and something i'm yeah i can't find any flyers I'm, that show unclear there yeah. there is a uh, there is a flyer on the sega retro page for this about the vic dual technology itself rather than specific games and it's, it's clear that you know the profit of two games in the space of one but it doesn't list this particular flyer anyway it doesn't list uh which games go with what right yeah and when you look at the pulsar page on the sega retro site um just says players control a tank <laughs> like that's what that's what it, and it's got a link though to every everybody's favorite fingers malloy poster um that's that's awesome that's another i'd like i'd like to have this this cabinet and i'd like to put that poster right up above it you and me fingers malloy we're gonna hang out we're gonna meet all the ladies in their own orange mohair sweaters it's gonna be great good times <laughs> the flyer says with with duel you can pick from the most popular high-income gremlin games oh uh, so you can just w- pick your own nice 
all with exciting action sounds and attention-getting full-color screens. And you can choose from upright cocktail and slimline cabinet models. Uh, just pay one license or permit fee for two games. So it looks like you tell them which ones you want, and they ship it to you. But the the cabinet in all the promotional materials will show like something on one side and something in this case head on on the other mm-hmm. some game called can something can on the one side i guess it's can am um but the marquee is distinctly can am on the left head on the right the the control panel has the two different color graphics and they're split down the middle to show the two different games there is no way sega gremlin made control panel art and bezel art for every combination of all these two games. There's there's not a chance they were printing like a hundred different marquees and you would get the one you want. It must have shipped in a generic cabinet, regardless of what this flyer said. The flyer is a lie. That's what yeah, I, I think. That's that's mostly um, promotional propaganda. Yeah. But still, you think to... I would expect to get that? I'm just saying. I'm disappointed. I like the game, but. Sega's lying to us, or, or Gremlin <laughs> no. lies. Gremlin lies. Companies would never lie to us. I'm dying to see how my score goes up against the 10 pence arcade guys once I listen to theirs. So I'm, I feel <laughs> extra, extra, extra need to do well to not just to try to beat you, but to beat them. So I'm really hoping my score rocks their scores because I've kept away from their website, so I won't even look. Um, so here we go. They're listening too, I bet, and we're all going to find out whether I win or not right now. <laughs> my best score I did this week, and I got many times around this score, but I couldn't quite get better. I got 36,400, so that's five keys. Now, right now, somewhere on the other side of an ocean, People are either laughing or cringing. <laughs> so <laughs> I wonder which it is. I guess I'll find out soon. But 36,400 is the best I could do. But I could frequently get and pass the levels of, you know, I got my five keys and kept going. And so I, I feel like I did pretty good this week. I, I feel comfortable with that. What about you, Mike? How'd you do? Well, Carrington, you may not have beaten the 10 pence arcade guys, but you didn't beat me either. Oh, <laughs> That's not where I thought you were going with that. That is, <laughs> oh, oh, darn. Okay. I know. So yeah, how, how did I'm, you do I'm it? awful. Uh, I got 40,200 points. Oh, my goodness. You beat me. I did. Boo. Well, it doesn't I feel like that, boo. Like that much. And, and usually I did it by, by you know, um, when, I, when I played to get the higher score and worked on, on getting the bonuses, um, I found that I could do that. And, and, uh, but if I just went for, let's see how deep I can get into the game and grab the keys, run for the locks, um, I could usually get higher in levels, but my score was invariably lower. Well, compared to the 10 pence guys, I'm going to predict that both of us beat them. <laughs> or I'm going to say that you beat them both and I beat Sean and Victor scored 50 points. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. But I'm interested to see what their scores are because it's fun that they recently did the same game. And so I'm going to have fresh in my mind what my score is. And usually when I listen to other people review games that we've played and reviewed, they'll say their score. And I'm like, I have no idea of that. Because you, you don't really know. I don't keep track of these things. But now I'll, I'll know that we both did roughly 40. Yeah, I'm rounding myself up now to roughly 40. Oh, you beat me. Um, what did I get? 36 four. So we will, we will see. But I'm hoping I beat them. I was hoping I beat you. So, so far, all I know for a fact is i'm i'm last <laughs> compared to you That's well, I, I, I just <sighs> can't stay away i have to know and in fact i'm on their web page right now did i win Ooh. did i beat them mm, did i destroy alex, them? alex got less than ten thousand points okay so okay so um alex must have been must have been guesting on the show okay cool sean got thirty nine thousand. Oh, oh so <laughs> close <laughs> Um, and I, so, so I beat Sean, yay for me. 
Uh, just barely, though. And Victor beat us both. Uh, Victor got 53,300 points. Oh, oh, shaking my fist at so you, So technically, Victor. I'm in last. Because Alex wouldn't count because he'd be just a guest. <laughs> Sorry, Alex. <laughs> oh, man, that stinks. I thought I did so well. I really was feeling quite confident because it's, it's quite a frantic game. And I thought for the one weekend, not being able to, like, continue. You know, you pop in your quarter and you play. And I, and I played a bunch this week. And darn it, I got lot, lot, many, many times I got into the 30s. Um, oh, yeah. But I, could, I kept hoping to try to hit 40 and I never could quite do it. So, uh, so 53,000. What, what did you say, Victor? Got fifty-three something? That's good. Fifty-three, three hundred. Yeah. Uh, I tip my hat to you, sir. That is yeah, a, that's, that's, that's quite the score because it gets fast. Like the first levels are yeah. pretty early, and I think the the times I would get the score that I got now, when I would get into the mid thirties, it would it honestly it wouldn't be that because I did really well on like levels four and five, it would be because I did really well on levels one and two. It's all about maximizing that fuel bonus at the end. Like on those first two levels, making sure you get the keys in the right order and doing it quickly can just give you a big bonus. Uh, and that seems to be the key to a high score. I think I haven't played it enough, but I'm, I'm going to. This like Omega Race is one of those games where I'd never heard of it before and I immediately loved it. I think it's a fantastic game. I'd love to own a cabinet. Super fun to play um highly recommend it and uh yeah i'm definitely gonna be coming back to it well now now for sure you're gonna come back to it because you gotta beat victor <laughs> i know no, exactly and i probably will tomorrow i'll probably doing it 60 grand or something <laughs> like ah just slightly too late but alas no and so you are the winner for this week boo yay for me boo to that. Um, then you know what you should get for winning you should get. I should get minus 19... four hundred thousand because yes. of my. Yes, <laughs> you're still you're still dipping into that. You should get a <laughs> 1981 Pulsar arcade game collectible pin. Something I forgot to mention during the show. Um, over on eBay, there's some seller who's got these vintage, um, what well, he calls pins. What I would call a button. A little. I think they're like an inch or inch and a quarter square. I'm really not sure how big an inch and a quarter is, but inch mm. and a quarter square um, buttons from 1981 that seem to be. To promote some sort of um, video games, they're from me. Like they got copyright eighty one on them, and there's a Pulsar pin. He's also got Scramble and Astro Blaster, and I think like Asteroids and Pac Man Deluxe, like games everyone would have heard of. But also this Pulsar, a game I did not know, and it was in you know researching the game. It was interesting to say, oh, this guy's selling the pin. It's like. $15 plus like another 15 bucks shipping or something for me. So uh, I think it's pretty expensive for a pin. But if they're collectible, then I guess it's something I hadn't seen. But you won, so you should have to buy the pin. <laughs> I should have to buy it? Yes, you. that'll show you. I'll show you for winning. <laughs> I'm still... See, I knew this 10 pence arcade thing was going to be a bad idea. The moment I heard that they were doing it, that they were... Basically going to be doing the, you know, game a week thing that we're doing and playing the same games and being better at them. It's than an homage to us, just with funny accents. Yeah, but they're better than we are, and that's what sucks. Better? Higher scores, yes. I'll, higher scoring I'll give you. Better? <laughs> Define Stop better. Stop it, guys. <laughs> I think it's just so funny that we did Pulsar and then we were picking between Pulsar and Eyes. <laughs> and they just did Pulsar and then did Eyes. Like it's uh, the thousands of games out there and we're doing the same games. I find that very funny. So. Well... Maybe they won't play this game next week. Not a chance. Here it is. All right. Well, uh, that brings us to the end of another No Quarter podcast. It does. I'll miss us. Not so much. (laughs) Bye.
You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Feedback can be sent by email to noquarter at monsterfeet.com, or you can find us on Facebook as No Quarter Podcast, and on Twitter, we are at No Quarter Show. You can also find us on both the Throwback Network and the Real Retro Junkies Network. All of these links, plus the show notes, are available at monsterfeet.com. And like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this episode has been released to the public domain. I have a question for you, Mr. McGinnis. I do not have an answer for you, Mr. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Yes, you do. Who should, who should begin this time? Why? Oh, wait, I, I, I know it should be you. You know why? Why is that? Because McGinnis should begin us. Oh, gosh. <laughs> you loved podcast with me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it just a little bit less now. <laughs> a little just bit less every a day. Little, a little part of me dies every time. <laughs> <laughs> just, just a little bit. <laughs>